by going and blessing, by going and sharing the gospel, whether that's local, on mission trips. And so just a reminder, we've got a team in Ecuador. They are on their way, driving back from the Esmeraldas area, back to Quito right now. It's about a five to six hour drive. And then they fly back while all of us are sleeping. They're going to be flying back late tonight, 1130 or so, and then they'll land sometime in the morning. So continue to pray for them. They had gospel conversations. Uh, Mark's been keeping me updated um, throughout the week. And so next Sunday, we're going to make it a missions-focused Sunday. You're going to have the opportunity to hear from the four that went to Ecuador. We also have some students who went on mission trips a couple weeks ago. And so if they're willing, um, they're going to share. And so we're just going to hear about how the Lord has been working and our students who went on a mission trip and then those who went to Ecuador We'll sing, we'll worship, we'll praise the Lord, but just to hear some of the work that God um, is doing. And so we, we praise the Lord for that. All right, this morning we have a children's story time uh, with Gary, who has had about an hour's notice uh, to get ready for this. It was supposed to be the lovely, talented Ryan Hornsby, my wife, but she woke up with a really bad cough, and she's like, that probably won't be ideal for me to come coughing on all these kids. Um, so... We, we, we reached out to the bullpen. He was willing. So come on, Gary. So come on, kids. Come on. Uh, Pastor Gary is going to read. Uh, just a reminder, um, two months ago, as we, we've been reading through the Old Testament, uh, I think it was Pastor Gary that actually did the Tower of Babel story. Um, and so we're continuing to work our way through the Old Testament. And so I believe this morning we're going to learn about Abram. So y'all come and then give Gary your undivided attention. Good morning. So this, this story this morning is called The Father of Nations. Uh, growing up, I was, uh, I came from a family of four. I come from a family of four. I married into a family where for Thanksgiving, my father-in-law <clears throat> has a table that seats 26 so this story, in some other translations, is called the father of the table of nations. And so uh, for you, sitting around your table, boys and girls, you come from a lot of families. Your mommies and daddies had mommies and daddies who had mommies and daddies. And so we're going to speak about the father of nations and where all of these names came from. So let me read uh, speaking of nations, God had a plan for them, an interesting plan, a bit surprising. Like most of God's plans, it started in a place called, can anybody say this? Ur. Can you say that? Ur. Ur, right. And it was ruled by a people called the Chaldeans. It rhymes with Shmaldeans. There was, a name, there was a man by the name of Abram. He wasn't a particularly great guy. In fact, he worshipped false gods. He didn't worship the God of the Bible like everyone else did. Well, he didn't worship the God of the Bible. Everyone else in that place worshipped their own gods. He had a wife called Sarai. Anybody here called Sarai? No, no, of course not. Sarai was barren. That means she was unable to have any children of her own, which probably made Abram and Sarai very, very sad. So there he was, a long way off, in Ur of the Chaldeans, worshiping the wrong gods with a wife who couldn't get pregnant. And you know what God did. What did God do? What did God do? He told Abram the hardest, strangest, most amazing things he had ever heard. He said, I want you to leave your country and leave your family. I want you to go to a new place. And I'm not going to tell you where it is. But God said, trust me. It'll be okay. Actually, it'll be better than okay because I'm going to take care of you. So that's what Abram did. Not Abraham, Abram. And when God says he's going to take care of you, he means it. He told Abram he would bless him and he would bless 
everyone who blessed him. And not only that, God promised to curse everyone who cursed Abram. Now you see these pictures on these slides because I'm unable to hold three things. You see, what, what did God say? What did God actually say to Abram? God told this guy who didn't deserve anything that he was going to give him everything. He even promised to make Abram a great nation. Anybody know what a nation is? What's a nation? A nation is like something that keeps on going and going and going. Okay, very good. Yeah. That's right. The 75-year-old man. I mean, we don't have any people that old year, right? The 75-year-old man that was Abram with a barren wife was going to have as many children and grandchildren and great, 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 great grandchildren as there are dust on the earth and stars in the sky. And if you ever looked on a clear night sky or looked down on the shelves in your house for the dust, you know that it's a lot There are lots of stars and there are lots of dust. See, God, what was he going to do? God was going to save the nations by calling a childless man from a pagan, unchristian nation and blessing all the nations through him. Doesn't that sound great? And God did that. God did that to Abram. So let me pray. Let's all pray together. Close those eyes. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all your promises and all the blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go back to your moms and dads.
Pew Choir. All right, at this time, our kiddos are going to make their way out for Children's Church. Everybody else will take a copy of God's Word and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Give me a second. I just started moving this music and I realized the praise team has to sing another song. So I don't want to take the wrong copies here. All right, Ephesians chapter 6 is where we are going to be uh, this morning. Rebecca, if I messed up your music, I apologize. Ariel. Um, all right, Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to be as we finish out um, this letter. Let me just do a quick recap uh, this morning for you on the letter of Ephesians. So you can take Ephesians, you can break it down basically into two sections. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 reveal our exalted position in Christ. Right? We are with Christ and we are exalted in the heavenly places. You see this. Um, at the beginning of the letter in Ephesians chapter 1, for example, verses 3 through 6, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So who are you? Right? You, because of your faith in Christ, you're now in Christ. You've been exalted into the heavenly places. In Ephesians 2, it talks about how we're saved by grace through faith. Right? It's not of our own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. So that's who you are at your core. You are now in Christ. And then in chapters 4, 5, and 6, he shifts focus to, to beginning to show our experiential walk with Christ in this world. Who we are now determines how we live. And so he says in chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He goes on to talk about how we walk in love, we walk in light, we walk in wisdom. And as I've mentioned to you several times over the last couple months, we then realize as we come to chapter 6 that we're actually walking in a war zone, that we are in a spiritual battle. And so we have to put on the armor of God, we take up the sword of the Spirit, we pray, pray, and we pray. And then we come to our final verses this morning. And so let me just kind of lay out where we're going as we wrap up this study. I want you to notice, first of all, this morning, Paul's circumstance, Paul's circumstance. Then we're going to see Paul's concern, and then we'll see Paul's closing word. So if you have your copy of God's Word, would you please stand in honor of the reading of that word. We're just going to read verse 20 through 24. This is the word of the Lord. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Oh, Father, as we open your word this morning, may you show us, may we see that we are ambassadors and representatives for Christ. As we see this important role of, of Tychicus to come and to share with how Paul was doing, and as Paul says, to encourage the saints. Oh God, help us to be men and women who encourage, who build up, who lift up the body of Christ. And then as we conclude this message and wrap up this book of Ephesians, oh Lord, may we examine our hearts to see if we truly love you, if our love for you is sincere, incorruptible, and undying. Father, be glorified in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to notice, first of all, Paul's circumstance. Paul's circumstance. So he's wrapping up this letter, right, to the Ephesians. He's asking them to pray. And then verse 20, he says, for which I am an ambassador. And then he says, in chains. In chains. We know that Paul is writing this letter from prison, right? He's, he's, he's enslaved, house arrest, wherever it may be. He's not a free man. He is in chains. He tells them in chapter 3 verse 1 that he's a prisoner of 
the Lord. And so we know Paul is just not free walking about sharing the gospel. At one point he was, but now he is in prison. And what he says is from prison, he says, I am an ambassador. I'm an ambassador. So the question, what is an ambassador? Well, an ambassador is an authorized representative of a sovereign. Authorized representative of a sovereign. Paul's authorized. He's been called by God, set apart by God, right? He He's under the authority of a sovereign, and he's an ambassador. An ambassador is simply just a representative of someone else. They represent a sovereign, or they represent another country. They are messengers who speak, this is key, not in their own name or on behalf of their own authority or their own agenda, but on behalf of another with higher authority. So Paul says, I represent Jesus Christ. I am his ambassador. That's not, now, that's not the only time Paul uses this word ambassador. If you have the copy of God's Word, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, Paul uses that word again. When he says, therefore, in light of what he has just said in 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, we, so not just him, but we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So he has a message, be reconciled to God. I implore you as his ambassador. Now let's go back and look at a couple verses that precede this. Verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So he has reconciled us to the Father through Jesus Christ the Son, and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So Paul says, listen, I represent Christ. I've been sent on his behalf to announce a peace treaty, God's peace treaty. That God has reconciled, that we can be made right with God, have peace with God through Jesus Christ, through his redemption, through his death, burial, and resurrection, and then through the reconciliation when he makes us one with the Father. You can have this. This is possible. And so Paul understands, this is my job. I go under the authority of Jesus Christ, and I preach reconciliation and redemption through Jesus Christ the Son. And he says, in this current context, he's doing that from or in chains. In other words, here's what Paul recognizes. He is an ambassador everywhere he goes. Whether he's a free man roaming the streets of Ephesus, preaching the gospel and building church churches, or he is in a prison in Rome. He is a representative of Christ everywhere he goes. And so what does he say? He says, pray also for me. Now, I want you to see this. What does he ask them to pray for? I don't know about you, but if I was in prison, I might be writing and saying, hey, would you all please get on your knees and pray and ask the Lord to set me free? Because I feel like I'm a lot more effective preaching behind a pulpit than I am in a prison cell. But that's not what he asks them to pray for, is it? He doesn't, he doesn't write and say, hey, listen, I'm bitter, I'm resentful. What's God doing? I don't understand. He doesn't even say, hey, y'all, my chains, are, my wrists are rub raw, my feet are rub raw, I'm not sleeping well, like pray for better sleeping arrangements. He doesn't ask for any of that. He says, listen, this is where I am. Now, certainly he wants to be free. And all of us, we don't want to suffer. We don't want to go through persecution. No doubt that's probably part of it. But he says, pray for boldness. That even here, in my suffering and in my persecution, I can still be an ambassador. John Stott says, what concerns Paul most, however, is not that his wrist may be unchained, but that his mouth may be opened in testimony. Not that he may be set free, but that the gospel may spread freely and without hindrance. In other words, Paul doesn't want the gospel to stop spreading through him because now he's in persecution. He wants, even in the midst of this, for the gospel to still go forth. If you have your Bible open, you just got to look over one page, or maybe you got to turn one page to Philippians chapter 1. 
Listen to what Paul writes there beginning in verse 12, Philippians chapter 1. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest, look at this, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul says, listen, my imprisonment, my suffering, my persecution has actually advanced the gospel spread. And it has motivated other brothers and sisters to be more bold in their faith. Paul recognized God has a plan. And so he just wants to be an ambassador. He was being faithful to the gospel. But let me... Let me point something out to you look at the beginning of verse 20 for which for which don't don't skip over those words he says he's preaching the mystery of the gospel for which i am now in chains paul is in prison because he was preaching the gospel paul is being persecuted because of his faith and belief and commitment to preach the gospel, to be faithful, to live out the great commandment, and to live out the great commission. And where does it land him? He's chained to a Roman soldier. Paul knew persecution. That was his reality. That is not my reality. And it is not your reality. Now, there are pockets, there are individuals in America who have gone through persecution for their faith, lost a job, or are being sued. And there maybe has been a period or a moment in your life where you experience some sort of persecution for your faith in Jesus. But the reality is, that is not our experience. But listen to John 15, 20. Jesus said, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 2 Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now listen, I do not know why. Only God knows why. That in his providence, he has spared the believers in the United States of America from persecution. I don't know why. You and I did not have to wake up this morning and when we got dressed and stood before the mirror to brush our teeth, you did not have to have a serious conversation with whether or not you wanted to risk going to worship Jesus publicly this morning or not. You didn't have to have that thought. That's not been our reality. But that train is a coming. And this morning, the point is not to tell you where I see it coming or how I see it coming. The point is simply to say this. Persecution is already here. It's on the doorsteps. And it's just a matter of time before you and your family are impacted. And how are we going to respond? I read a book several years ago by Nick Ripkin. The book is entitled The Insanity of God. I still don't really understand that title, but the point of the book is looking at faith resurrected. What does it look like to have a resurrected faith and a resurrected Lord and to live for him? And so this guy went and traveled the world and he just sat down in huts and villages and he met with believers in Christ who experienced persecution. And that ranged in levels, but they had been persecuted. Listen to what one man said. To Nick. He said, for us, persecution is like the sun coming up in the east. It happens all the time. It's the way things are. There is nothing unusual or unexpected about it. Persecution for our faith has always been and probably always will be a normal part of life. Think about that. Again, I don't know why in God's providence it has not been our experience. But some people around the world, it's all they have ever known to be persecuted for their faith in Jesus. And then Nick writes this. What if persecution is the normal, expected situation for a believer? And what if the persecution is, in fact, soil in which faith can grow? What if persecution can be, in fact, good soil? And I begin to wonder about what that might mean for the church in 
America. And here's what I begin to think about this week. If you and I, if we, won't serve Jesus and represent Jesus and speak for Jesus Christ in our freedom, then what makes us think that we will speak for Jesus and serve Jesus and tell others about Jesus if it costs us in persecution? Like we have, you have the freedom to go to your schools, maybe even to take your Bible. And I don't know if you can take your Bible out. You may get in trouble for that. They may frown upon you praying. But at least you still have some freedom to do that. You probably have freedom, some freedom in your workplace to be able to tell somebody about Jesus. And if we won't do that in our freedom, are we really going to do that when it may cost you your job? cost you your livelihood you could lose everything because of jesus but that that was paul's experience he is an ambassador you are an ambassador now we're not in change yet maybe one day we will be but will we represent christ no matter what happens paul as he's bringing this letter to a close reminds them that he's an ambassador in change that's his circumstance secondly i want you to notice paul's concern beginning of verse 21 so that you also may know how i am and what i am doing tychicus the beloved brother faithful minister in the lord will tell you everything i have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts now listen for some of you in the room this this idea is foreign to you a world in which you cannot text or write letters or pick up the phone to let somebody know in seconds, hey, just want you to know I made it safely, just wanted to let you know I've been in the hospital, but I'm healthy, I'm doing good. There was no way to communicate overnight or in an instant to the church in Ephesus how Paul was doing. They want to know. They were concerned. Have you ever been concerned about somebody? Some of you are like, yeah, that was, that was our life. Like they left to go somewhere and we didn't hear from them for a day. Like they couldn't call us. And so what Paul does is, to give a report to the church in Ephesus to let them know how he's doing, he sends this man by the name of Tychicus. Now, what do we know about this man? Well, we know, according to Acts 20, verse 4, that he's from Asia Minor. We know that he accompanies Paul on his third missionary journey. We know that um, he, based upon Ephesians, Paul says he's a beloved brother, so he's a brother in Christ, he's a believer. We know he's a faithful minister, that he has been ministering and serving faithfully alongside of Paul. We know he's a messenger. At the end of Colossians, which is a parallel letter, he, we, he's mentioned there that he's going right, to come visit. Uh, Onesimus is also going to go with them. Onesimus, you know, from Philemon. And so we know that this group of people, and more than likely, Tychicus, is going to be the one who delivers the letter to the Ephesians. Now, everyone in this room knows about the Apostle Paul. We know he's an apostle. We know his accolades. We know the letters he's written. If I would have asked you, who does Paul mention at the end of Ephesians, who delivers the letter, very few of us, if any of us would have said, oh yeah, that's my boy Tychicus. I know all about Tychicus. But think about how important he is. He is entrusted by Paul to deliver not just any ordinary letter, but to actually deliver a letter that came from God, revealed to him through the Spirit of God. Now in that moment, I doubt Tychicus knew that you and I would be here 2,000 plus later, years later reading this letter. I don't think he knew the significance of it. But the point is, though he is an insignificant person compared to the Apostle Paul, he had an important role to play. Everyone has an important part to play in the kingdom of God. You may never be known, you may never get the accolades, but whatever God entrusts to you, be a faithful minister in that. But there's something else we know about Tychicus. Verse 22, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and look at this, and that, Here's the purpose, and that he may encourage your hearts. Tychicus is an encourager. He's coming to encourage the hearts of the people. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. 
1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Encourage the faint-hearted. Hebrews 10.25, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Don't neglect the gathering together of the brothers and sisters. This is vital. This is necessary. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So when you meet together, encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. As a church, you and I must be about sharing the gospel with lost people. That's what, the, that's what the group that went to Ecuador this week is doing. They're sharing the gospel, having gospel conversations with unbelievers. We must do that. We don't have an option to do that. We must share the gospel. But at the same time, we must be a people who encourage the brothers and sisters of Christ with the same gospel that the lost people need to hear. We have to encourage one another. Now, to be an encourager doesn't mean you deny the reality of problems or sin. It doesn't mean, well, i got to encourage. It means I can't acknowledge that there's problems and there's sin. i just got to ignore all that. No. To be an encourager doesn't mean you never confront sin or wrongdoing. Well, if I'm going to encourage them, I can never confront their sin. No, that's not what it means. Rather, it means that if you want to be an encourager in the body of Christ, you have to help people see things from God's perspective. In other words, to be an encourager, you have to continually just remind people of the Word of God. Just keep pointing them, encouraging them, looking to Jesus over and over and over. Because when we look to Jesus, it brings hope and encouragement. See, here's the reality. Some of you came in this morning and you have been beat up this past week. Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. For some of you, Satan attacked you this week. May he beat you up. For some of you, you got beat up by the world. Maybe it was a boss. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was your child, a, a, a difficult neighbor. I mean, they just came after you. They said something to you. And man, you were just beat up. Maybe you just feel beat up by the world and the way the things of the world are going and you come in burden. For some of you, you beat yourself up this week. Because nobody talks to you more than you talk to yourself. And you just beat yourself up. And the reality is when we come in here as the body of Christ, it would be awesome if we all came in on the mountaintop in a great mood and everything is wonderful and life is awesome, but that's not the reality. Some of you came in that way. Praise the Lord. You probably won't come in that way next week. So what do you and I need to do? You and I better start figuring out in a day and age when Satan is going to attack, but in a culture where you're going to be attacked more and more for your faith, you and I better figure out quickly how we can do a better job of encouraging one another. One of my biggest concerns right now in the Christian church are brothers, fellow pastors who are too quick to beat up other pastors because of one thing they said or one thing they did. Now, look, there are some brothers, it becomes clear in their preaching, in their way they live, that they're walking away from the gospel. We need to address that. But we are too quick to pounce on each other rather than building each other up. But to build each other up, we have to continually bring them back, not to our thoughts, not to our opinions, but to the Word of God. So church, be an encouraging church. If you see somebody down, build them up, lift them up with the word of God and that's what he sends Tychicus to do to be a brother who encourages and then now notice lastly Paul's closing word he, he mentions a lot of things in 23 and 24 I'm going to point out one that I want you to notice but let me briefly touch on them peace be to the brothers peace it's how Paul begins the letter verse 2 grace to you and peace to you peace right that you can be reconciled with God and then reconciled to the world reconciled with God through Jesus Christ and then reconciled to the world. Look, look at the world. The world is messed up. The world has all sorts of theories and, and, and opinions and, and programs to try to fix relationships and people and things. Hear me, until your relationship with God is fixed, you can help nobody else. 
There's no program that we can possibly come up with that's going to ultimately cure the ills of our society. It's only through Jesus Christ. Paul says, you now have peace with God through Jesus. You therefore have peace with one another. So he closes the letter with peace. Then he mentions the word love. We'll come back to that in just a second. Love with faith. We know that Paul mentions faith, right? We're saved by grace through faith, faith, belief in Jesus Christ. But then he says this. Grace, grace, undeserved, free, unearned favor. God's grace be with all, look at this, who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Now, if you were to go back and read the letter of Ephesians this week, you'll notice Paul talks about love quite a bit. Paul talks about God's love for believers. God's love for believers. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 mentions that, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. So Paul has spoken of God's love for believers. Paul has spoken of Christ's love for believers. Chapter 3, verse 19. Um, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul has spoken of believers' love for one another. That's chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Paul has spoken of the husband's love for his wife, right? That you're to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Paul has spoken of love in general, chapter 5, verse 2, that we are to walk in love as Christ loved us. But from my research, from my reading, this is the first time in the last sentence that Paul speaks of your love for Jesus Christ. He says that grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love that is incorruptible or love that is undying or love that is unfading it's as if he has just explained in writing all this down this is who you are in christ now you have been adopted and loved and saved and you were dead and now you're alive and he goes into all of this this is now who you are and then he explains that that impacts how you live your life and at the very end it's like oh yeah and by the way do you genuinely sincerely love the Lord Jesus Christ, who has done all this for you. Do you love him? Back in the 1800s, a hymn was written called More Love to Thee, O Christ. The author of that hymn was Elizabeth Prentice. It was written sometime in the 1800s. For much of her life, she lived the life of a near invalid. Her body often racked with pain. And it was during these times that she had to refocus her understanding of her own value and worth from from doing to being. Not focusing so much on doing these things, but just who am I in Christ and trusting in that. And she said, I see now that to live for God, whether one is allowed ability to be actively useful or not, is a great thing. And that it is a wonderful mercy to be allowed even to suffer if thereby one can glorify him. Now this particular hymn, More Love to Thee, was written out of great pain and tragedy. Elizabeth and her husband George um, had two healthy children. She was pregnant. A third child was to be on the way. But their son would get very sick. And in January of 1852, he died. Bessie was born three months later. But then the following month, she died suddenly. So within a very short period of time, they have lost two children. Through her grief, she confided in her diary, empty hands, a worn-out, exhausted body, and unutterable longings to flee from a world that has so many sharp experiences. She was struggling. But as she began to go back to the Scriptures, particularly the Old Testament, looking at some of the people in the Old Testament and their tragedies and their suffering and how God still used them, right? she was comforted and eventually wrote the words to the hymn that she kept hidden, I think, for like 13 or 14 years before she published them. One of the verses says this, Once earthly joy I craved, sought peace and rest. Now thee alone I seek, give what is best. This all my prayer shall be, more love, O Christ, to thee. More love to thee. More love to thee. On one occasion, she wrote these words. To love Christ more 
is the deepest need, the constant cry of the soul. Out in the woods and on my bed and out driving, when I am happy and busy, when I am sad and idle, the whisper keeps going up for more love, more love, more love. As we conclude the sermon, as we conclude our study in the letter to the Ephesians, do you love Jesus? Do you know the Jesus Christ of Ephesians who has been revealed to us here, revealed in the Scriptures? Do you know Him? And do you love Him? Because if we know Him and if we love Him, then the reality is we are going to want to be a disciple, to be a fully trained follower of Jesus, and we're going to want to make disciples. I had a chance Friday during the day to go to Crossroads Church with with Ken Adams and sit with some other pastors in the room and just learn about what it looks like to be a disciple, to make disciples. And one of the best um, just kind of conferences, teachings that I've sat under, I mean, it was just, it was convicting. Like, are we, am I, it starts with me, are you, are we a people who love Jesus, but understand, to love Jesus means we gotta, our character needs to be a certain way, our conduct needs to be a certain way, because we want to look and live like Jesus. And then he said something, man, that just hit me. He said, obviously, Jesus was effective in making disciples and training them and teaching them. Because when he leaves, his disciples, though they struggle for a while before his resurrection and ascension, once he ascends and he says, listen, go, be my witnesses, make disciples, they follow. They do what he said to do. He effectively, properly trained them to be disciples, to go make more disciples to tell people about Jesus. But then he said this, what would have happened if they didn't? What would have happened if they would have said, yeah, we're not, we're not going to do that? I'll tell you what would have happened. You and I never would have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a result, we're dead and going to hell because he had entrusted to them the message of salvation. He said, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to be raised for you. I've loved you. Now you go live like me, act like me, but go make disciples. Spread the gospel, and they did it. And as I sat there listening to that, I just thought, Jesus, I love you. But if I really love you, the gospel can't stop with me. It can't stop with me. Because that which you love, you're going to do, you're going to talk about, you're going you're gonna to proclaim it? Like, man, I love this. My Cincinnati Bengals play tonight at 6.30 to go to the Super Bowl. I'm going to be watching them when I go home. Why? Because I love watching football. But I love Jesus infinitely more. At least I should love Jesus infinitely more. So listen, if you're in Christ, if what is, what is written in Ephesians is true of you and you know Jesus, then you are already seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Christ is going to return for you. You will live with him for all eternity. Everything that is written is true of you. And now we're to live it out practically, which means we're to make disciples, which means we are to be a disciple. So, so I'm going to challenge you as we end this. Number one, are you in Christ? Do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life? Have you confessed your sins, repented of your sins, turned from your sins, and said, Jesus, save me because I'm going to hell if you don't save me? And if you say, yes, pastor, I've done that, let me just ask a convicting, pressing question. Is the gospel stopping with you? Is anybody else learning about Jesus, being drawn to Jesus because of your life and because of your words? Because if Ephesians is true, I believe it is, then brothers and sisters, we got to proclaim it no matter if it costs cost us our lives because eternity is at stake. And apart from Christ, none of Ephesians is true for you. But in Christ, it's all true for you. So go and tell others. Would you close your eyes, bow your heads. Father, we thank you for your word, all of your word, particularly this morning. I'm grateful for the letter to the Ephesians, the hope and the encouragement, the peace, the grace, the love, the the joy that this letter brings to our lives as we have been incredibly forever changed as a result of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection.
But Lord, this letter is also convicting because if it's true, then what are we going to do with this letter? What are we going to do with it? Are we going to tell people that apart from Jesus, they're dead in their sins and trespasses? They're going to hell. Are we going to speak that truth into their life with love and, and grace, but boldly proclaim that this is true, that apart from Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sins? But that in Christ, their life can be made right with God and with one another, and they can actually live out the will and the purpose that Jesus has for their lives. So, Father, just convict us right now. Bring joy to our hearts in light of this study, in light of your word, but also bring conviction. Jesus, may the gospel, may the good news of your grace and of your peace not stop with me, but may it spread through me this week boldly as I seek to share the gospel and to encourage the hearts of believers. Father, as we, as we sing, as we worship together, may your will be done in our lives. May your kingdom come. That is our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to worship together. The altar is open as always. If you need to come and pray, I'm here at the front as well. Let's worship together. Your will be done, my God and God, as in heaven, so Stay me.
Amen, amen. Thank you, thank you. You may be seated for just a couple minutes. The last couple weeks, I have not spent much time um, just because of the length of the service and things that are going on looking at the bulletin, uh, but I want to do that for a couple minutes because there's some, some important things I want to draw your attention to. So one of those is the sisterhood group. Um, I believe today's the last day to sign up, so when you walk out these doors to the right, there's a box and a pink piece of paper. Ladies, I want to encourage you, um, whether you did this last time or not, to, to join up. I know it's uncomfortable maybe for you getting into small groups with ladies, but I promise you this is a way for you to be encouraged, a way for you to grow and to build relationships, and so please uh, be part of that. Next Sunday, um, you've seen this in the bulletin for several weeks, we'll begin uh, a new Sunday school class that we're offering uh, with, with David Masden. So if you have any questions for him about that, you can see him uh, this morning, Bridging the Gap, an opportunity to serve February 25th, April 22nd. If you plan on serving, the details are there. Please sign up. Uh, there's a lot of sign-up sheets out there, by the way. You can sign up for um, a mission trip that we plan on taking this summer to go see the Yanceys and do work there if you're interested in that. We're going to do a youth fundraiser for camp on March 5th. Barbecue fundraiser, sign up for that, and we'll, we'll give you more details um, next week. I'm trying to see if there's anything else I wanted to mention other than the other one. Okay, one other one. Um, on February 19th, um, I don't want to embarrass, but there's no way we can do this hiding this from them. Uh, we're going to have, on February 19th, it's actually 20 years of ministry for Curtis and Ann at Northside. <laughs> 20 years. So we're just going to have a lunch in their honor. I want to encourage you just to shower. We'll have a box there just to shower them with just love and gifts and celebrating. But let me make clear, this is not a send-off. This is a celebration of 20 years. I don't want anybody thinking, wait, are they going to know? They have no intentions of leaving, to my knowledge, not to put you on the spot. 20 more years, Curtis said. So 20 more years, the Lord willing. Lord willing. That'd be something, brother. That would be something. So we just think that's a big milestone. They've been faithful to serve here. And so we just, I think it's important just to appreciate and to love on our staff. And, and you get to eat. And that's always good, right? So, um, so put that on, on your calendar. That's on the tail end of winter break. But we just want you to be a part of that. And, and certainly between now and then, just let them know how much you appreciate them. I just want to encourage you. If, if they've ministered to you in any way, write them a letter. Send them a card. Just personally come up and just thank them, a specific time that you can remember. It's encouraging to hear how God has used you um, in ministry, and so we're very thankful for them. All right, uh, Larry Smitherman is the Deacon of the Week, so he's going to come and close us out with the word of prayer. We have all our normal evening activities tonight, so I want you to come uh, be part of that. Awana, youth, Bible study, adult Bible study that meets in here in the sanctuary all that good stuff. Brother, if you'll close us in prayer, will you please stand? Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the encouragement of your uh, word this morning. Lord, may uh, we thank you for the, the love and grace and mercy that you uh, bestow upon each of us. May we uh, continue to show that same grace, mercy, and love toward our, our brothers and sisters, Lord. Father, may you go with us now and give us a, a good week. Uh, protect us, watch over us, lead and guide us, and forgive us, Lord, where we fail thee. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>